0: from Music For All and presented by Yamaha. Welcome to Culture Before Content. Sometimes it's good to focus on the growth of our programs or things that we do that make it better. I think it's mostly about the culture of our band classroom. Join us in discovering how to shape each band class into a space where students and educators are excited to learn, participate, and thrive all in a safe space. And now, here's your host, David Duarte. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome back. We're on episode number five. Can you believe it? It's only been a couple of weeks since we started going live and here we are again. So welcome. I wanted to say thank you to Music For All for allowing me to be on this podcast and for entrusting me who's like, I, you know, the word imposter syndrome is real. Who am I to give this podcast and the answer is, hi, I'm David Duarte. I'm the host of Culture Before Content, and also we are sponsored by Yamaha. Our mission is to create, provide, and expand positively life-changing experiences through music, and that's why we're here today. Um, Hopefully, you're you're getting a chance to either watch this live. Maybe you're going to be listening to this later or watching it later. Um, You might be downloading it on Apple Podcasts. You might be uh, streaming it on Spotify, but hopefully, you're getting here. Um, And again, just a reminder, you can watch the show live, and if you're here, that kind of makes sense, right? And you can ask questions to the show. You can chat. You can post things. Oh, and my favorite things please like the video. Even if you're watching this later, like and subscribe because that's how connection is made. Social media is social media. Um, And then again, on usually on Mondays, right around midday, you can get access to these on Apple Podcasts. You could subscribe there too. And you can do it on Spotify you can subscribe there too. But anyway, any way that we can get to you, get to us. Anyway, I wanna talk a minute about that intro. Um, I teach music production as well as I teach band. I have, a, let's see, what do I have? Two levels of band. I have percussion, I have jazz band at what feels like two o'clock in the morning, but it's really 6.50. Um, but I also teach music production. And in that class, we were using Soundtrap. We're using music first. And I was having my kids do it. So when they asked us for a theme for culture, I actually wrote that in my classroom and I had a great time. So thanks to Soundtrap and uh, Music First, that was like one of those cool little things that actually, and I get to jam out to it every week. And so do you. And so let's talk about some of our former guests that we've had, because I think I am selfishly getting a great experience with the guests that we have. So first we had Matt Wood. So if you haven't checked out his podcast, it's, you know, success comes, looks different for different people. So one of the things that he gave to me and we were talking about, he said, you know, talk to your kids on Mondays or anytime there's a break and just have them share out. One of the things that I did like the very next day as I started sharing out and I've been doing it pretty regularly. And guess what? Lo and behold, I have kids talking in my classroom that I have never really heard from all that much, but everyone feels comfortable to share. And it's kind of making the culture and the, and that classroom a, a little bit different. Um, from Scott Lang, culture comes from the person on the podium. I cannot tell you enough. One of the things that man shares is just, you know, how, the way we do things. And the one thing that I've got, and I've been holding it dear to form, is I don't teach at a large school. I kind of teach at a medium school. Um, I have been focusing on more on the growth than I worry about the performance. My kids are performing as good as they can. I cannot ask more. But now that I've kind of focused on growth, my last three or four weeks of band have been quite a bit different and enjoying every minute. So, so thanks for that, Scott. And now for Vanessa. Um, Vanessa is one of the most organized people and amazing people. So she shared with me, um, how to keep her band room clean. Cause I think that so maybe for a lot of us, she just had some ideas and she said, it's just her culture. And she said, you got to teach the kids. So I was mentioning it to one of my kids and they made this sign. It's up on the screen. Um, they made that for my office cause my office also doubles as my music production studio for my level two kids. And it's not that they weren't doing anything, but as soon as this sign went up, I will tell you my office feels completely different. So if you haven't checked out Vanessa's uh, broadcast, that, I mean, that was just the one little thing. And I've started making sign. My kids that are making the signs are getting into it. Those are like, those are handmade by the kids. But thanks, Vanessa. Um, And then for Ryan Rocky, bringing your your culture to your students, it made it so that I've been a little more purposeful, I can't even say the word, purposeful, this last week about sharing a little bit more about myself with the kids and just being myself with the kids because that's who they get to see and who get to be. So again, as we're going on, remember, you can add comments, you can like the videos, and you can do all those things on the line. So why are we here? Really, it's just a conversation between two people and a chance for hopefully to get some connection for all of us. You know, I've got some personal shout-outs. This podcast, this morning I was talking to Tony Mazzafero. He is the uh, tuba euphonium professor at Utah State University. However, I met this gentleman when he was the director of bands at Fullerton College in California. And so I always try to remind yourself, the reason I like to shout out these people, because you might actually be near these people, that man is one of the best clinicians I have ever been around. And if you ever want to motivate your band, you know, look him up, Utah State University. That man is more than willing, and his G is a genius. Um, So thanks for talking to me, Tony. That was amazing. Um, And then, I said last week, you know, last week I talked about the things that I do in my band to make my band better. So one of the things that we've been working on is major chords, C-E-G, G-B-D, D-F-sharp-A. And so we go through all of them. And what's really neat is this week my kids have had to start, in music production at least, they've had to start playing them on the piano. I've got kids that don't play music that are now playing the piano and they're able to identify instruments because if you want to make music, they got got no chords. And for my band kids, it's kind of selfish for arpeggios. But this week, a little bit of share about what I did in the classroom as I've been working on tone concept with my band a lot. So like I said, my band program is about 75, 80 kids. Never really counted. And so I uh, last week I talked to uh, my small band director cohort and we were talking about sharing our videos of our bands with each other and being brave. And so I you know, I said, I, I better walk the walk and not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. So if you're on my Facebook and anybody can be on my Facebook, come to find out um, that I decided to post uh, one of my bands playing some stuff and it was fantastic. And I got another shout out, Carol Britton Chambers actually said hello to my kids. They were so excited, amazing. And so I posted that and of course, you know, I was, you know, I'm focusing on how well the band was playing and all that. And then all of a sudden I just realized I was mortified. I've started listening differently. Cause you know, when you listen to your band, you kind of like close off, man, their articulations were terrible. I mean, absolutely terrible. So I called my, one of my people, one of my mentors and that's David Koontz is going to be a guest coming up really soon. And I said, okay, I need a short, sweet exercise that I can teach to my kids. And the man just like instantly tells me right away, here's the articulation study. He goes, you know, write it in triplets. It's slur two, tongue one, uh, tongue one, slur two, and then uh, slur all three, then tongue all three. So I actually took the time talking to him and I took out my computer and finale and I wrote it out. And so as my gift to you is you can actually download this articulation exercise that he told me to write out. So, I mean, maybe you can go as slow or as fast as you want. Um, The reason the word clarity is up there is because that's my belief that if I use that word every day, are the rhythms clear? Are the notes clear? Is everything clear? Is your tone clear? Is the sound of our band clear? It makes something. So when the articulations weren't clear this week, I wrote out this exercise. I want to say I started at nine o'clock. I finished by like nine forty-five, and it's available for you. So the link to get to it, if you want to download this, is all, this is all one word: David Duarte, which is D A V I D D U S. you can see it on the screen now: Duarte.me. So it's David Duarte.me forward slash articulation study. And if you just click on that link, it'll let you download that exercise, copyright free, totally written by me. But like I said, one of the things David Coons has taught me is we don't keep things in secret to try to be better than everyone else. We try to share and make all of us a little bit better. So enough about my stuff for this week. Let's get onto the show and have some fun. Today's guest is someone that I met last year. And again, I'm gonna keep shouting out, Laura Estes. By the way, if you've never played her music, fantastic. And I can't even actually remember when we get to my guest, I'll let you, I can't remember what you played. Um, I had done Wicklow. And again, I discovered this because it was on my music first and it was able something I could get to my kids and I could get some accountability for it. So anyway, her music is fabulous, great. And we were working on on it. And so my kids auditioned for an honor band. And so Leslie Moffat, who's has a guest today, was the clinician. And so at that honor band, they always ask who wants to run sectionals. So I raise my hand. I'll do saxophone sectionals. And by the way, no one-to-one to B-flat today, please. Anyway. Just kidding. Um, but today you're going to meet an incredible woman. This is Leslie Moffitt. She's the chief executive officer and founder of the Empowered Music Educator Academy, which you can find at empowerededucator.com. Um, she's the host of the band director bootcamp podcast, which by the way, I will probably pop this in the chat it, or not in the chat. I'll probably pop it on the YouTube thing. You need to go. I actually watched a bunch of podcasts this week and holy cow, I got some good ideas because these podcasts end up being just the most incredible professional development. Anyway, so we're going to talk today about inclusion and in a supportive culture that is successful for your classroom and the community involved. So without any further ado, maybe some later ado, who knows when we get due here. Um, please welcome to the show, Miss Leslie Moffitt. Welcome, Leslie. Oh no, I can't hear you.
1: I thought Patrick would unmute me. I have to do all everything around here, huh? <laughs> Patrick, I'm just giving you a bunch of poop. Thanks for all your help back there. It's really great to be here and to see this take off and having... Uh, just was at the Washington conference this last week, and I, I heard about this being plugged in the new podcast and everything. I'm like, hey, I get to be part of that. So I'm just thrilled to be here.
0: Well, thank you. I, I want to say a plug. This is my plug. I didn't get a chance to go to that session because I had to take care of kids. Anyway, it's what we do. We take care of kids. So let's start with just, let's say, who is Leslie Moffitt? Why don't you tell us about a bit about yourself and some of the things that you do? Because I want people to catch that and hopefully find that. Well. I'm the world's biggest band geek
1: on the planet. Just a little history. So I'm going to fight you for this one, David. So I'm a third generation music teacher. My mom and dad met in their college marching band. Their honeymoon was the trip to the Rose Bowl that year. So they got married days before the game so that they could just make their honeymoon the band trip. Wait wait a second. Big Ten or Pac-10? Pac-10. Yeah, the Huskies. Oh, that's right. University Washington. So early
0: 60s. But... I'm an Arizona Wildcat. through
1: <laughs> But anyway, so, and my mom had wanted to be a music teacher, a band director specifically, and was told that that was not an appropriate career path for a female. So she married somebody that was majoring in music and became a band director. So I was a child of a band director. And my, we lived in the community where my dad taught, like literally two minutes from the school. I grew up with the band kids babysitting me and going to the games and concerts and on trips with them. And that's all I ever knew was this band culture. And then when I hit high school, I got to be in my dad's band and do all the things as a high school kid. And so I always knew that I was going to keep doing that and be a band director. And I was going to teach my own children and live in the community where I serve. And so for 12 consecutive years, I had my own children in school. Um, they're four years apart. So each of them got oh, I got for four years and they were each in two classes with me. I teach in the community where I I live, just minutes from my school, been here for decades and decades. And so, I mean, you're 36 and I am still loving it. Now, there were some difficulties along the way. I'm not going to lie. There were some challenges, but I look back on this career path and I'm like, what a privilege it has been. What a weird thing it's been the last few years with the pandemic. But even then, to be able to be with kids during that, was we had some pretty powerful opportunities to still... Help them through. So, anyway, it's all been just an incredible journey we've been on. And and it's fun to be out here talking about it and how, you know, my culture of my classroom was so much influenced by what I saw growing up and, you know, what my dad had built with the culture of his small town where everything revolved around the, the high school. I was like,
0: that's what I want to create. Well, that leads me to like the most important question for a band director's kid. Actually, it's any question. What was your primary instrument? I always like to ask that from people.
1: My parents did the whole you have to take piano lessons thing and I kicked and screamed and cried all the way there until I met Mr. Cortez, this old man with Mr. Rogers sweater with the patch, leather patches on the sleeves and he smelled like a <laughs> he smelled like a pipe. I love that smell of the pipe. And I was mad because I had been taken away from my friend Mindy's birthday party. Pfft, <laughs> stupid piano lesson, first one. But we got into the piano lesson. I sat there with my arms crossed and pouting on the piano bench. And Mr. Cortez said, "Would you like a lifesaver?" And so I got to have candy at my piano lesson, and all was well. And he was such a gentle soul. And I got my start on piano from him. But then fifth grade band came, and I always thought clarinets the coolest. I'm going to play the clarinet <laughs> till the first day of fifth grade band. And Miss Jurgens said, "Oh, the clarinets are going to sit over there," because back then kids just showed up with instruments, you know. So okay, I sat there, and then I looked around at some of the other kids that were coming in. I'm like. And I said, "Can I sit back there?" She said, "That's where the trombones sit." And I'm like, "There's a boy named Jeff in the fifth grade. He was so cute." And I'm like, "I want to sit by Jeff." And she said, "That's where the trombones sit." So I went home from band the first day and said to my dad, "Dad, Miss Jurgens says I have to switch from the clarinet to the trombone." And He goes, "That's odd." And I said, "I know, but Miss Jurgens said." And my dad had played trombone all through school, so he got out of his old beat-up trombone. And he said, well, "Here you go." And I walk into fifth grade band on day two, and Miss Jurgens says, "Why do you have a trombone?" And I said, "My dad wanted me to switch." She says, okay, but you'll have to sit back there. I'm like, okay. That's how I picked the trombone. <laughs> Amazing. Because girls didn't play trombone in the 70s. Girls didn't do that.
0: Uh, we talked about this last week. Maybe we can talk about this some more about the gender of instruments that should not exist, but somehow does. And I know. Uh one of those things we've been trying to get out. Just like Again, how we met talking about, actually, well, you know, I'm going to talk about this one of these days, but I, I got on my interview, um, I got the question about female composers and on an interview, I just froze and it made me so mad at myself that that's how I decided I'm going to make a journey about making sure that never happens in my life because it was something I didn't realize that I was accidentally doing. It doesn't really, it's all about inclusion. And I know that's one of those big things that you talk about. So let to talk about a little about Leslie. Besides the musician, who is Leslie Moffat?
1: Well, I'm a mom of three, so that's pretty cool. I have three awesome kids. They're not kids. They're in their 20s and 30s, but that makes me feel <laughs> old to say that. So there's still kids in my eyes. Um, and like I was saying, um, I'm married to a trumpet player, which, by the way, if I had stayed on clarinet and hadn't seen Jeff, I would not have gone to a brass band, which is how I met my husband. So that whole Jeff thing worked out after all. Probably in Jeff's favor that I didn't chase him down. But anyway... <laughs> So yeah, I'm married to a trumpet player. Music's a huge part of our life, and I've, I've raised three kids, so I'm super proud of of how they've turned out. And for a long time, if you had asked me who Leslie Moffat is, I'd say I'm a wife and a mom and a teacher. And I really had lost a lot of who I was through through the teaching process because, like a lot of band directors, especially high school, we get kind of some ego stuff going on, and we get into it a lot, what? and we think the whole world revolves around our podium, and it doesn't. What? But yeah, I'm somebody who really um, identified. Mostly as a band director, it's what I dreamed about, or sometimes it was nightmares about. Um, it's this things that um, sometimes it was really hard. Um, but then recently, after my, you know, and now that my kids are grown, and now that I'm teaching middle school instead of high school, and I have some time, I'm rediscovering who Leslie Moffat is. You know, I went a quarter of a century without sitting in an ensemble and playing on a regular basis because I was too busy. But I was on the podium, and I forgot what that experience was like from the other side until this fall. And I got involved with. We have a Seattle-based group called Formation Wind Band, and it's all women. And we just played at the conference last week and it was freaking amazing. But I'm a musician now. I've really forgotten about that part of me. I'm somebody who loves to make music and i would forgotten about that piece of it. You know, I play piano all the time and I accompany people, but sitting in there. So, you know, I'm a musician and I'm rekindling my love for, you know, art stuff like painting and doing those things. I'm not very good at it, but it doesn't matter because it helps me, you know, I sit there focused so hard on it. that It just becomes this wonderful relaxation. You know, I'm finding that I love doing things that are, are like that and stuff. Yeah, I'm somebody who just, I love to watch people grow, whether it's at school or, well, just stories, story's been, it and been fun for me, you know, being, you no, know, I'm getting off topic. There I go again. You asked who I am, but I'm telling, now I'm telling you go about. For well, go for it. Go for it. It's about community and culture. And this, I'm sure we'll go back and, and talk about this, but just one of the things is I'm someone who, when I have students in school, it's because of the culture we build and the, the way things go, and we'll talk about this more in depth, lifelong friendships often develop. And last week I was inducted in WMEA Hall of Fame. And as I walked into the, um, ceremony, I was very disoriented because standing in front of me were three kids and the kids were in their forties, but that I had had over 30 years ago, I was their teacher and they showed up there. And it was just so interesting because it reminded me of, who I was then and how I've changed. But at the same time, you know, there's so much similarities. And so there's been a lot of change and growth over the years. As everybody discovers, I think I've been more aware of it as I get older and I reflect and look back and I've gone through different phases of who I am and what I love to do. But what makes me happy is helping other people grow.
0: That makes me want to know some questions. Cause like I found you and started realizing, I think I met you first on the internet, so to speak, cause I started seeing you pop up with your, your band director boot camp. So. How did that come to be? Where is that connection? What is like your podcasts are just amazing. Oh, I remember what it was. You actually interviewed a former student of mine that I didn't realize uh, it was Bill. Um, Bill was well, he's more of uh, when I was a fine arts administrator. He was at, at one of the schools that fed me, but he was such a talent back then. Was that Bill Miller? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was just one of those ones. that's like wait, wait, like it was like the worlds collide at the you know I wasn't expecting the worlds to collide, and that's how I found you. So you know, Bill was just and still, if you haven't looked up Bill Miller or look at that podcast, it's something to watch. Where would the inspiration from the podcast go? So I'm going to keep working back till we find out who that empowered educator is.
1: Well, here's what happened. So well, I'm just going to give you some history now. I'm just going to ramble because you gave me the okay. I had a vision of building a program where, literally, you know, where it was the center of a community, and I wanted a big program where everybody's involved, parents are involved, lots of things that we provide for all the students and the like. So I took this program from 100, almost 100 kids when I first started. I wasn't even full-time band. I had to accompany the choir. And within years, it was over 300 kids. So it grew to this huge program. And you know, the funding did not match it, right? So we're scrapping things together, building a huge booster program to start funding this to bring in extra teachers and blah, blah, blah. And it was all going great. But every vacation, every Christmas time, it, whenever my body had a moment to slow down, all these horrible things would go wrong with it. To put it, make it long story short, by the time 2017 hit, I had this laundry list of things. I was uh, over 200 pounds, just swollen up, not feeling good at all. I had had 14 major surgeries. I have titanium rods and screws in my neck and my back and my hip replacements, my feet. I've had internal organs removed. Lots of issues had gone on with my health. I was at one point teaching with an oxygen cannula and carrying an oxygen tank with me because I'd run out of sick days after a hospital stay with pneumonia. Ooh. I was on 12 different medications for ADHD, um, trouble sleeping, trouble staying awake, uh, depression, anxiety. It was just, I was a cocktail of drugs and sometimes, yeah, there, there were bad combinations of them to help cope with all these illnesses that kept creeping up. But I just had to keep doing my job and that job was starting at 6.30 every morning, downbeat for jazz band. So I was at school at six, running a full day of teaching. And then, I don't know, a band director that walks out the door when school's out because you got all the things after school. And then multiple evenings a week, you're out, and you're right back at school at 6.30 a.m. And it damn near killed me. And literally, I crashed. I didn't go to school the last three months of 2017. I couldn't leave my house. My body and my mind just, that was it. I couldn't make another decision. Um, Started going to some doctors and saying, what's going on? Everything hurts. My, I can't. My doctor started to write another prescription. I'm like, this is not the solution. And about that same time, no, a little bit before that, my I remember getting a phone call from my best friend Lori, and she called to, and I had to pull my car over. I knew she had a doctor's appointment. She hadn't been feeling well. It was an icky, rainy day in Seattle already. The, the <laughs> take the call in my car, and I had to pull over as I heard her voice, and she says, "Leslie, I have stage four ovarian cancer." And it was like, oh my god. We were both going through all these health issues, and yet. We were just busting our asses at our jobs and our bodies were falling apart.
0: I gonna say, so what you're saying is you're, and this is me kind of going there. So what you're saying is it's hard to have your band and be who you are if you didn't take care of yourself first. Is that what I'm understanding?
1: It's as simple as saying you have the most beautiful buffet wooden clarinet on the planet, but if you don't take care to get a reed that isn't chipped and you put, a bad read on there, that clarinet won't work. And so your band, think of your band as the clarinet. You're the reed. You got to be in really good shape to make sure everything else can work. So that's why the whole people who don't have time for self care. Well, you don't have time not to have it because when I missed three months of school, it didn't matter how good a teacher I was. I wasn't in the classroom, so I couldn't be effective. My dad had to take my students on their trip to Canada to perform because I couldn't go, and my colleagues had to step up. So at that point, I was like, I was at a real. A real decision-making. I like. I either got to make some changes or I'm going to go down that path where I can't keep teaching. I can't keep doing this. I'm falling apart. And I watched what was happening to my friend, Lori, and we'd be sitting at her chemo appointments and stuff. And we kept saying the phrase, I love my job, but it's killing me. Because as her chemo's going, she's typing up solo and ensemble entries and things like that. And it was like, this is absurd. It should not be infiltrating to this point. And I attribute so much of mine and she did to hers at the time, the stress that it is on our bodies that we don't we, we don't stay in good health and things get worse just like an instrument no maintenance it's going to fall apart that screw is going to fall out at a concert if you don't take care of it before and so anyway i made some choices some decisions some changes i decided along with my husband to start seeking out naturopath medicine using medical help to get off of all of the medication i was on and to as we got to root cause and you know when you eliminate the things that cause inflammation you don't need to take pills to take care of inflammation because you're not inflamed and when you do things that or you eat foods that make you feel good and that your body can process, you feel different. Your joints don't hurt. You, it just, it was amazing. And all of a sudden I was, I'm a power control freak. I had control. <laughs> I'm like, I have control over a lot more than I thought I did once I started understanding that. And it was a long, slow process because, you know, I read millions of books and listened to things and sought out lots of help from counseling to medical advice to naturopath and all of the things. And then when I, went from loving a job, but it was literally killing me to a whole different person within a year. I was like, this is amazing. And so that's when I wrote my first book. It's a lesson plan for
0: teachers to do what I did. What was the moment that changed you? Because like I said, you said root cause. And so like, I, you know, I know there's a lot of band directors out there right now that are like, I love my job, but this career is killing me. And I know there's other reasons. It's not just necessarily medical. I, I hear it all the time. I see people, they're stressed about the job, but really they just, you know, it's, there's so much more besides teaching, you know, notes and rhythms to the kids. And so, you know, what was your moment? What was the, what was the thing that happened?
1: When I took care of Lori one night, her husband was going out of town for a weekend and she couldn't be alone anymore. And I was like changing the bag on her belly that was there and doing those things. And, and I had, had made definite changes. And we talked about that kind of thing. And she, she said to me that night, the first night I was there, she said, you got to tell other people what you're doing so they don't have to die. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm a teacher. And then that's how it all came about, writing a book as a lesson plan, basically. So teachers can not have to go through as hard a time as I did and try to piecemeal your own thing. Here's, you know, I'm not saying, here's what I did, so everybody should do it. I'm saying, here are the things I looked into, look at these things. You know, it's like assessing a student. You don't just go in and say to your, a student before you hear them play, here, fix these things. You hear them play, and then you know where they need help, and you can help them. And so this is, a, you know, teachers are good at taking self-assessments and then figuring out what this means, and it takes them through to help people do that. And so it's funny, because my publisher says, my first book's about getting your uh-huh. own together. Second book's about how to take that into your classroom and get the culture of your classroom. Where it's healthy for everyone. Cause that's when the learning can take place is when we have the safe and healthy classroom. And then I'm like, everybody's asking me, when do you write in book three? When do you write in book three? And I'm like, well, I can write a book in 90 days. I've done it twice because I have a process. I, I learned a process that's phenomenal. I hired somebody to help me and she taught me a great process. So I'm like, I could write a book in 90 days. That's the first draft. Then there's the editing. Then there's pitching the publishers. Then there's going to print. And that's another. And I said, man, people need stuff now. And on a Wednesday afternoon, I go, I should start a podcast. And so I did that day. And in five months, I produced 70 episodes. And I leveraged AI, thank you very much, to do all the show notes and stuff. It just, and so anyway, I put out a podcast because I thought this is how I help people that need it now, not waiting another year and a half or two years. As great as the books were, I'm so glad I did them because they, they've served a great purpose. But so the podcast came about because literally I'm like, how can I do this? And then like you said, You get all these amazing guests and you just learn something. I go back in every time I do a new podcast interview with something new to try in my classroom. It's like free professional development. (laughs) It is.
0: I'm telling you these podcasts. like I'm already going to like, I'm already, I already know I'm going to go look at your book. I will personalize in a second, but there's a question from one of our former guests, Vanessa Cobb. Thank you for coming. Did you slow down things in your program in order to make time for yourself or were you able to balance both?
1: I had an unhealthy balance that I had created in my program because you know once you do something one year it's tradition and so every year is adding and adding and adding and adding and so when I got to that point where I had that basically breakdown and I went in the next fall after quite a bit of counseling I went in and I talked to my students about we're going to make some priorities we're going to look at what we're going to do and prioritize I couldn't continue at that same pace at work I could but if I continued at that same pace, I was going to continue with the same results, which was being sick, which was, you know, having all those problems. So I had to make some choices. And so, but with helps of my student and admin sat down and, you know, what are the essentials for keeping in the program? Not the basketball games to make the coaches and parents of the basketball players happy, but for the students we serve. For the students in our program, not always the trips and stuff, but the day-to-day, the growth that takes time. So cut back a lot on what we did outside of class, but what we did outside of class then was really meaningful. And I wasn't burning my students out either. I had gotten to the point where it was my whole life, and I kind of expected it to be my students' whole lives too. And I don't think that was healthy for them because those are the kids in the AP classes getting ready for college, working jobs. help. And so I was modeling how to burn out. And now I intentionally model the opposite.
0: Well, I'm going to personalize for a second just to show you how much that impact and our stories are very similar. Now, I'm only on year 34, so I'm only on the first 34 years. Oh, you're a baby. I know, right? <laughs> and so it was, um, I became a money-making machine. When I took my kids to Midwest, I always like, this is one of the few brags I will, I will send to. It cost my kids $0 to go to Midwest because I was that much of a fundraiser. I was that much of a, you know, golf tournament, this, that. You know, we'll talk, you know, because we all know we all know the, the, the things that we need to do. And I was not, I taught at a Title I school that just, again, I had access to resources. Again, things I always liked about the culture of how to overcome some of these boundaries. But I was a workaholic. And so after Midwest, we got invited to go to WIBIC. And so one of the things that is, is again, going to Seattle, getting money, all those things. Well, I was bound and determined that my kids were not going to pay a dime to do this. So I remember we took my entire marching band because we just kind of, like I said, we just kind of did a, everybody did everything kind of thing and, and, the, and the rewards come later. And I remember just going, and I also, by the way, that same day, I also had a clinician coming from the university, Minnesota State University to work with my jazz band to do a concert, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I had a little bit of tightness, because I was like, oh my God, my allergies, you know, I'm from Arizona, my allergies are killing me, it was March, and I just remember that, my God, the, they were terrible. So um, anyway, I was walking up the steps at the Phoenician Resort to take, with my marching band, I was going like so slow, and I'm like, man, I gotta do something for these allergies. Wasn't paying attention to what my body was telling me. And then so that night, when we got to the, the clinic, I took my clinician, Alan Carter, y'all should know him, uh, we took him out for Mexican food, and then I'm like, you know, I need to, I'm gonna run to the urgent care, and I'm going to go get something for this because I mean, I just really tight. So, anyway, what I learned was I ended up in the hospital. I ended up in the emergency room and I never left the hospital for five days. And speaking about missing my trip and probably the best student teaching experience, I walked around with bronchitis that turned into pneumonia and I just attributed it to bad allergies because I was not listening to me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in the hospital twice because the first time I went for five days because I had pneumonia. And then when I got out and I was supposed to take my band to California, that's right. I was allergic to the medication and that's how I found that I was allergic. And so anyway, I had calling your principal at four o'clock in the morning is always a special time. But had I not had the support and all those people to help me again, you, you, you your kids went to Canada. Mine went to California. I did not go. My mom went, my principal <laughs> went, everyone went, upset me. Um I got to hear it on the phone, but I mean, I was sicker than a dog and it changed me. And so I, I was talking to a, a band director here locally um, And we were talking about life balance. She has a baby. She just had a baby about a year ago. And I'm just thinking to myself, that's the most important thing in your life. And we were talking about the weekend. I said, I don't do band on the weekends anymore. I don't. It's going to be there on Monday. I can stave it off. But I have learned personally that I have to take care of me. And one of the things I made an agreement with myself after I left that hospital the second time, I'm going to take care of me from this point forward. And band is not band a second. <laughs> and actually band is like third or fourth, or fourth. But anyway, let's get
1: back to you. Well, you mentioned that. So we talk about setting up a culture because of that, right? And it's our responsibility as the teacher and the director and the person in charge to set a healthy culture. And it's not healthy when we're doing all the things and not not being intentional. We burn people out or we burn ourselves out. And when I saw that counselor through that summer before going back after having missed months of school, she gave me a homework assignment. I was like, well, how about that? I'm supposed to do the homework, but whatever. And she said, you're going to write a cover letter to your syllabus. And in it, you're going to outline when you're available, how parents can reach you, and when you're not available, and blah blah blah. And she gave me, you know, some real specifics. And she said, "I want to see it next week." And I'm like, "It's pretty ballsy of her." But I went, I went, and I did it because I was, you know. But the exercise itself was really hard for me because I'm a people pleaser. And I thought, what will people say? What will they think if I don't take care of their needs right away? Never mind if my own children want me to fix dinner or have homework help they need or my husband wants to talk. But what if the band kids needed something? You know, I just was always at the beck and call, it felt like you know for whatever people needed. And so I had to be really clear about that. So she saw it the next week and she said, great, now the next part of your assignment is to actually use this. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, is she gonna know if I don't? Uh, but I thought I'm paying her a lot of money. So maybe I should take her advice. And so I was really nervous that next year because the kids had come to expect all the things, all the things we did every year that were so fun, the traditions, the retreats, the trips, the blah. And I, we got to that, that first day. And I don't typically read the syllabus with my kids, but I did address that. And the kids were okay, they, they went like whatever. And I got a couple of emails from parents that night and I almost didn't want to open them. And every one of them was like, well, good for you. How can we support this? Blah, blah. And I was like, what? Then I was like, wait, I wasn't that important after all. So once I got my ego out of it, then I realized when I put some boundaries up, a few things happen. You know, like Vanessa was saying, did you do less? When I have boundaries up and say, like for me, a boundary I have in my school I teach in now, it's the middle school. I went to the, I taught high school forever and decided two years ago I'm going to go to middle school. So I just swapped with my theater program. And one of the things I intentionally do is Wednesdays is band buddies. I stay after school and anybody who wants to stay after for snacks and practicing for one hour, we do. I don't say if we don't get this done, we're going to stay after and work to, you know, it's a purely get it done thing. And I'm still, so we're more intentional because I'm not going to stay after for kids that just won't practice or do stuff or, you know, for whatever reasons it's, we, we start becoming more intentional with how we spend our time when we put the boundaries up. And so we get more done in less time. And I, I did a sem- session this week at the conference about, I asked the attendees because the title of it was, I love my job, what it was killing me. And I said, what if I could show you how to find an hour a day? or maybe five hours a week, what would you do with an extra hour a day? And several teachers had a hard time wondering. And one gal just goes, honestly, I'd just work some more. I'm like, that's part of this process of setting the culture. Where do you draw a line so that you have the mental and physical capacity to do it when you're there, but it's not healthy when it's infiltrating elsewhere. So that exercise on syllabus and boundary setting was hard, but man, did it change
0: things. Well, I like I said, I, my, my response to like exactly was just I had to change. I had to give... I had to understand that I am just as important as my job. And you know what? It is hard for us band directors. I'm sure nobody out there hyper focuses on their job. One of the things that I also had to stop doing was like, stop talking band 24 seven, stop <laughs> going out with your music to talk, you know, and because I was feeding my own my own problem, you know, hey, you know, how did you finger B flat one and one in this piece over an F net? Anyway, I hate the long story. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I had to like, I give of myself, Monday through Friday, or whatever scheduled. and I will purposely not give myself my my. You know, Patrick, you're going to get thrown off in the background here, but I always tell Patrick, he always gets to know. Like I've had so much pep band this year. Like at one point, I thought my season was over, so I had planned everything, and then there was just this accidental. If this, this happens and that happens, then you're going to go to playoffs, and it happened, mm-hmm. and it kept going. It's like Monday pep band, Wednesday pep band, Friday pep band, Monday, and then uh, that's including that if you know the the boys hadn't finished. Well, I think I had 19, not 19, 15 Pet band games that I did this year since January. And Those of you who had snowpocalypse, 2024, that included the week off. So at one point I went from like three games a week to four games a week, but man, one of the things that I had to make sure was when I got to those, when I got to those weekends, they were mine. Otherwise I would not survive. And one of the other things that I've done, you will not find me in the summer, unless I'm there for you, like a camp or something, but I am not doing band. I'm not doing those extra things. And you know, what's weird? My my band is just as good as it always was before I I, I don't have marching band sorry don't be envious people um, I have pet band but I think one of those that was one of the things about coming back to teaching high school was finding a situation where I could stay healthy oh look we have another question Ricardo LaBine uh, when missing work for personal reasons what culture do you develop so that kids are being productive and practicing when you are absent well
1: if you're talking about like just being gone for a couple of days kind of thing. Um, when I was, I, I taught high school, like I said, up until this last year. And so there, we, the kids knew what to do. There were processes like who takes attendance, who does these things. And then there would, I would leave them with a, here's what needs to be done by the end of the period. You know, we talk about it usually the day before we go, because we all want the concert to sound good, or we all want to be prepared for solo ensemble. So you, you need to spend X number of time doing this. You always want to have them do something that's going to have them feel like it's not just filling out a worksheet to kill time. Because I think that says enough. I have disres- disres- disrespectful.
0: I, Go ahead. I have a great method for being gone, and it's the method I used. So, like I said, I told this story before. But when you get selected for Midwest, as you know. It's kind of awe-inspiring and trying to get the band ready. Um, I taught myself a method about how the kids can do stuff while I'm gone. So I, I put together 45-minute lesson plans on a CD so they could listen to the music, piece of music and they could play along and all that. So one of the big things I do when I'm absent is I have that method going. And the kids are so used to it because it's built into my culture that they can actually, you know, the, um, like we're listening to Carol Britton Chambers' piece right now. They work on articulation style by working with the recording, playing along with the recording. It's not a rote. It is not a rote teaching method. It literally is a stylistic interpretation. It's a macro. It's a macro expression. So, and those are some of the things that I've taught my kids to do. And I also have a kid that's in charge of it. And I have a, a kid. If that kid's absent, a second kid that's in charge of it. And if I uh, m- miraculous, some kid's not there. There's the third kid that's in charge of it. There's also the student leadership component that I've built into that. So that's one of the things that I have always have when I am gone. I make sure those kids have something to do that keeps them occupied. Oh, look, questions are popping up. I like this.
1: Yeah. Ryan wants to know if we share why we are gone with your students. I usually do, um, but not always. I mean, like, if I'm going to go present this session or if I'm going to a conference, I'll say, I get to go learn about music. So be ready Monday because I'm going to try all the new things. Aren't you excited for me? And then they're like, oh, great.
0: <laughs> they're excited. Actually, the only time I share the why with my students is actually when I have my mental day off because I actually get one. My district actually provides us with one mental day. And I tell the kids because my kids have actually said, Mr. Duarte, you are always here. And so that was, I think I always shared, I'm taking my mental day. And I said, it kills me to be away from you kids because it's so much ingrained in my, in my passion of being there. And they know that. But that's probably the only time I share. And if I, I think I've been sick a few times. I mean, But other than that, if, if I'm gone, I think my kids respect me enough not to ask. And if I share with them, awesome. Well, look, we got a little spot here. Let's go back to Leslie Moffat and your podcast. Actually, let's talk a little bit about your Empowered Music Educator Academy, because I've been on your website um, and that's again, that's how I got to all your podcasts. And that's when I've I've been going. But if you could talk a little about about this, because this is something people can go to while they're listening to us.
1: Yeah, well, I started the Empowered Music Educator Academy as a place where I could do, you know, do the work that I've been doing. And I'm really what I do is through coaching and working with clients, I help Busy band directors build successful programs, build supportive communities, and feel frickin' amazing while they do it. So they can have professional longevity and a healthier life because this is an amazing career, but it's really hard. And if you don't do it right, it won't be sustainable. And you invest so much time and energy and money and effort into it. I want to see people be My dad had, my grandma, my dad and I have had these long careers, decades and decades and decades of doing it, and I want other directors who want to do it to be able to do it. So by helping with productivity and wellness tips that I've learned the hard way, maybe some people can learn them the easier way. You know, think about if you're watching a kid play a passage and they're kind of struggling and you watch them and watch them, and wouldn't you be Uh a fool if you didn't say, hey, there's an alternate fingering you could use to make that passage a whole lot easier. Well, that's what I do when I coach people, right? (laughs) I can look at something that a band director is struggling with and I can go, have you tried this? Something that they might not have thought of, but because I've done this for a trillion years, you know, I've got a process for that. I've got a template already. Let me give that to you. So I created this business because between going out and speaking at conferences or doing sessions and then doing coaching and retreats, I just needed a business to, to kind of run all that through. And my whole purpose with it is to support busy band directors and to
0: make music education sustainable. And that looks different for all of us. Yes, we are all different. What works for you may not work for me, and that's part right. of like what I always try to tell people like I, you know I, I know I'm an odd duck sometimes. my kids appreciate it, but how I say things I always say, I always equate it with the words "I love you." You can use those three words, but who you say it to and how you say it has a different result and sometimes an awkward ending so you got to be very understanding of who and what you are. So you said process. And I think that is kind of like what I had. That's what I learned through all of this. I have a process for like everything. And anybody who knows me personally knows I use that word like every day. I had a process for when I showed up at my current school for substituting. If the secretaries asked me in my first year, I had a process that said I would do it unless I didn't want to do it. And then I had a process for the second year that, they had they had to not ask. I tell them, don't ask me to sub. I sub more than any other person, and now I have a culture of like. Anytime they need me, I am there. But they really, truly will not only ask me if they need me, but I will be there a hundred percent because I have a process for it. And that was one of those things that helped me build culture in my school of who I am as a, as a person. And so. Can you talk more about some of the the things that you offer on that on that website besides, you know, I know you're an amazing author. You've got some other things that you do and how do you, how do you reach the masses? How can the masses reach you?
1: Well, they can go to my website of course and there's links to different things, but the best way I work with people actually is talking to them and finding out what they need and so they, you know, cuz people have like I said different needs. A lot of folks come to me cuz they're really wanting to get their health and I'm not a doctor, so let's just be clear about that, <laughs> but I did a boatload of research on things that you know, that worked for me. And I I didn't create a method and then use it. What I did is after I got super healthy and got to where I wanted to be, I looked back and I reflected on what changes did I make? What were the biggest changes that I made that had the biggest impact? And I went back and I recognized that I was being really mindful of the meals and the movement and music in my life and using music as a healing tool where you're listening to different vibrations. I mean, there's a million different ways to use it. And I found that those four things that mindful approach to meals, music and movement the things that really changed my life so i created the m power method because those things all started with m because i i noticed that those if i get my act together in those areas everything else felt easier because my body and brain functioned better Because I was doing the things. You know, it was hard. It was hard to make all the changes I had to make to lose enough weight so that I'm at a comfortable weight so my body doesn't hurt because my joints can support it. But it was harder to hurt all the time and to have to use a cane while teaching high school marching band, or I didn't march, but high school band. And those things were hard too. So I had to kind of have that come to Jesus moment with myself and say, which hard am I going to pick? And I thought about it and I thought, the hard that's, you know, figuring out what's causing the problems and then, you know, figuring out what I can do to solve them, that's hard work too, but the results
0: were amazing. Do you think back to that maybe some of the stress you created, created some of these problems? hundred percent. Curiously?
1: Yes. It was a a very sick, unhealthy cycle that was going on. The more I did, the more kudos, because it felt good. You stand on that stage at Carnegie Hall, tell me that's not pretty impressive. Why wouldn't I want to do that again? And again. Correct. Right. And then, but then you got to also do the Disney trip. Well, because that's really fun too. And and then I created, I manifested what I wanted and what I, I got what I wanted to manifest. And I wasn't, didn't have the tools to quite deal with it yet. But there was a culture and community that was super supportive and we had an amazing time through all of that. And so I don't really regret it. I learned and grew and I'm where I am today because of it.
0: So now that we're in our late 30s. <laughs> um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Um what do you say to somebody who's just starting out their career when do when is it time to recognize this stuff because I you said the magic words I'm a people pleaser I am a people pleaser as well but to a fault because you know who needs to get pleased I need to make sure that I am the most important some of the things and sometimes by pleasing people I'm going out of my out of my my zone of what I need to be doing so what do you say to a young person that you know when you started teaching and when I started teaching I laughed you know, we, we're talking about standards, this and standards that when you and I started teaching, we were just told, go in the classroom and I'll see you at the end um, uh, end of the year. There were no standards. There wasn't all of this. And so, you know, you think about these magic band programs that have come around or who the big heavy pan records around the country were back in the day. They just did it because that's what they do. And I'm sure you and I have that mindset and I'm sure you. As a daughter of a band director, have that mindset because that what's how it's always the, how we did it before. But now you've got these, you know, these poor young kids who are being told you got to do this standards-based grading, this, you've got to do this PLC, that, where you and I can look at it and we can put a filter, but we're not going to stress about it because we're going to, we're probably just, this is how it gets done. I'll word it this way. So what's some advice you have to the younger teacher out there about when do you need to recognize stress? Or if you're having stress, what can you do about it? Think of it from the young perspective. Well, I think
1: it's physical. Noticing how you're feeling a lot of the time. So I have this thing in my book. I talk about speed bumps and stop signs. And the purpose of a speed bump and a stop sign, as irritating as they are, is to have you slow down, take a look, and make sure it's safe before you proceed again. And we need to think about the speed bumps in our lives. Like when somebody says, hey, I need you to do this, or you need to turn in that, I got to stop and say, is this necessary? And really evaluate what things are. <laughs> you know, It's always easy to say what you would do as a new person, but really you have to be so careful when you're starting at the job because you don't want to lose the job. You're in a different place than somebody like you or me. I mean, you and
0: I could probably say, no, I'm not going to do We can take a lot. Yeah, We can take a lot. But what panics me is what COVID kind of did. I hate to use that word, but I saw, you know, there was a movement that was making me angry as a person of all these people championing about, I'm going to quit education or like, you know, there was just there seemed to seem to be this movement that this is this is too much. When I can in my brain thinking, I'm just coming back, and it's it's I have to have this to be me, and I want that feeling to go to everyone else. I love teaching. I mean, I took I took the 11 year administrator gap, and I don't regret it. But as I've been back now for year five, I can't see. How I man, I don't even remember it at this point because every day I go to work, I'm excited to go there. I'm excited to see my students. I, I have changed that mindset from that. But I don't. I I get so worried about our the culture of people saying, "Well, oh, I'm going to quit." This is that there's too much out there. So, like I said, you know, stress management is huge
1: and finding the right fit. Because honestly, I look back and I'm thinking, here I was in my 20s, 30s. Um, Having three children of my own, teaching in a huge high school band program, maybe that wasn't a great fit at the time. Maybe I would have taken a different path. So being aware of what's really helpful for you in this moment when when you're interviewing, you know, is this a good fit for me? And then, yeah. Oh, go ahead, David.
0: I was going to say, I, I <laughs> this is, my, my again, my shameless plug, but I am chapter two in Scott Lang's leadership book. And the title is called Finding Your Fit. And I believe that what you just said hits me like none other. Ryan Rocky, who was my guest last week, l- used it last week because he knows those words resonate. Sometimes you're in the wrong place. Find the right place. And I'm not saying- that And correctly. that fit will change, right? Yes. Changes and it just, you, like a key
1: change. Key signatures in, throughout a piece will change as the piece evolves. And I had a beautiful fit for decades. But a couple of years ago, I recognized some of those stress signs coming on, like my stomach clenching up when I pulled into the parking lot. Mm. like that sunday night scaries those things started to happen again and i went and my i would notice my jaw would be clenched and my muscles would be tight so i started noticing the physical stuff and now that i'm aware and i'm paying attention that's when i said about two years ago i was like i have to find a new place even after decades of being so happy it was time and it was just because i think trauma from the pandemic and trying to be back in that same room was hard so you new teachers what's working now you know or notice how things are going. What are you physically feeling? How are you mentally feeling when you think about school? What does that make you feel like? Like David gets super excited. He's feeling pretty good about it. But if your stomach goes in knots, you get clenched up or you start to worry, that's a signal that, you know, start looking at some of the things, what's contributing to this. Listen to your body, find somebody, find somebody who's been around the block a few times, who you trust, who can help you through this, whether it's somebody to listen to, somebody who knows the situation, somebody who can hand over some tools and lesson plans so you don't have to start from scratch. Because we all, all of us that have been in this for any length of time have been lucky to have somebody or somebody's out there and there's nobody more generous with their time and talents and resources than music educators.
0: Well, Leslie, I hate to say this, but this never, it always feels like it goes by in two seconds, but it is time to go. And I am so thankful that you took this time to share with us. And I'm thankful that you took time to say yes to coming on the show.
1: Well, I'm happy to have done it. Can I put an offer, a freebie out there for your audience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And your email's up there right now as we speak.
1: If there's anybody out there that's in that spot, like I love my job, but it's killing me, I'm gonna, I'll send it to David. I've got a link, and I just don't remember it off the top of my head. Well, we can put it in his show notes. Um, for a week. I'll
0: put it, I'll put it in the YouTube, I'll put it in the YouTube column for yeah. people. We'll give a free download of my first book. Well, that's that's amazing, Leslie.
1: Thank you. Well, I want music teachers and all you folks, you guys, what we, the work you're doing is so important and we've got to be there for Kids need us now more than ever. They need that community of the music classroom more than ever because to show outside this uh, in the real world. We need to teach
0: people how to act so that it can change out there. Thank you for adding to our culture. And thank you, Leslie. I needed to hear all this tonight. Everyone go watch Leslie's podcast. I watched like eight of them last night. And thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Night, everybody. Bye, Leslie. All right, kids, final thoughts. Um, I will say this. That was way more powerful than I thought it was going to be. But I, I'm telling you, the culture of you is the most important thing. And so I want to say just the, th- my thought process is find other people. Run some things by so a friend. It doesn't have to be a music educator. But we are not alone. And sometimes I think we end up being alone. Reach out, email me, Facebook me, find me wherever you can. I'm glad to always share an opinion. It won't necessarily be right, but I like sharing them. As I said to my student teachers, everything I say is just not—it's everything I say is wrong. You need to evaluate for what you do for yourself. But I'm more than glad to give an opinion. And so that's not—I'm not trying to say I have the answer. I'm trying to say I have an opinion, and I think that's what we all need to do. We need to share our opinions more and more and more. All right. So what's going on next week? We have an amazing guest, Sheldon Fraser. Um, he was the former director of bands at North Cobb High School. He is currently working on his doctorate at Northwestern, and I think our interactions that we've had in just this last couple of days, you're gonna get some really neat thinking and some we have very we are two very different people with some very, very, very perceptive things. So come to the show next week. Um in the future I have David Cooden coming, who's the gentleman I want you all to meet. If you're looking to build your program or those things, um, you could ask this man a question about anything on music. And I guarantee he somehow knows all of it. We've got Rachel Lake coming up for small schools she got 150 kids in her music program out of about 300 plus kids. So how do you get 50% of your school in your music program? And we have Aaron Vogel coming up, um, who's a recent attendee of the National Contra Band Festival twice, um, started participating in Bands of America in the regionals, and he's the state champion for Arizona. Um, and like I said, I want people to see that we all do things different, and hopefully we can still be a little bit from everybody so hope to see you next week we're here every um sunday we're here at 7 uh, eastern and we're here at 4 p.m central or not Central? see i did it ben 4 p.m pacific so hopefully you guys can fill in the dots all right i hope to see you next week thanks for coming